Well, let me ask you this. Will you accept $50,000 for 10% of your business? You know, there are thousands of businesses looking for investment capital today. Would your business be attractive to investors? Are you thinking about starting a business? I mean, even if you're working for a company, it's healthy to think about them as your biggest customer. See yourself as self-employed. It'll help you open the door for extraordinary success. Incidentally, if you got $50,000 for 10% of your business, that means the business is worth $500,000, half a million dollars. So stick around. We're going to be exploring what investors look for and how you can think through what you're doing right now, even if you don't need any outside money. We'll be back right after these messages from our supporting sponsors. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I'm going to compile a whole lot of your listener questions into one kind of theme for today, and that's talking about getting investor money for your business. Now, we, we get a lot of ideas presented, and I love having ideas presented. So I want to present a framework for how you can look at a business to see if you, in fact, are a candidate for outside investment, what you need to do to move up that ladder. So here's some, we'll be addressing some questions like this. And again, I've just kind of compiled a lot of questions into these. Am I ready for investors? How do I present my idea to investors? What are investors really looking for in an investment? Which do I need more investment money or mentoring from experts? Now you see that played out a lot, even on like Shark Tank where ultimately Mark Cuban or Barbara Corcoran or somebody will tell the people, you know, you don't need money. You just need some people to come alongside you and kind of help guide you. All right. So our quotation then comes from Ken Hakuda, who said, lack of money is no obstacle. Lack of an idea is an obstacle. And our resource for today is an upcoming webinar that we're doing Thursday night. Now, this is going to be Thursday night, June 15th at 7 p.m. So the link for that, the resource then, is if you go to 48days.com slash investors, it'll take you to that. Incidentally, I was interested just glancing over some of the reports that we get. And we've got new listeners. You know, we've been talking about increasing our audience, and that's happening very nicely. Thank you. Thanks for sharing it with your friends, as you're obviously doing. But I've noticed new listeners in Kenya, Israel, Malaysia, Senegal, New Zealand, Canada, and the list just goes on. That's pretty cool to see. So again, the link, though, for our this upcoming webinar is 48days.com slash investors. Now, again, that's going to be Thursday night, June 15th. I'm going to be going through some of the questions that I just expanded on here that I just listed. You know, is your business investor ready? And again, I encourage you to jump on. Even if you have a traditional job, you don't have anything that you're doing on your own, it'll just help frame the options for you. You don't want to get left behind in where new opportunities are coming up. And if you're a regular listener here, I know you're looking for those new opportunities. You want to stay ahead of the curve. 
you want to stay in front of what's happening out there. This is a way to do that. Now we're going to be, I'm going to be laying this out. And then this is in kind of preparation for our event that we're going to be having here in Sarasota in August, where we're going to be doing, having people present their ideas, real ideas, real investors sitting there. So we can go through and look at, is this idea one that we would want to invest in? And when you register for the call, you'll be able to have access to the actual application that we're going to give people to go through. So again, you can just go through that. I mean, I do a lot of things. I mean, I go to, you know, real estate conferences, even if I'm not interested in investing in real estate, just because I know I'm going to learn something in that environment. I know you're people that are doing the same kind of thing. You know, open yourself up to opportunities like this just to learn, even if it's not something that's exactly what you're going to do. So again, get your seat, 48days.com slash investors. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the rapid change that we're seeing, and then I'm going to unpack just how what investors look for. But we're told that in the last six months, there has been more data collected than had been accumulated in the entire history of humanity prior to that time. Now, that's pretty wild to think about. That, that has all kinds of implications. But one of those being, you know, one of the things that uh, people have been concerned about for a long time is that robots are going to replace humans. Well, that's already happened to a, a great degree. The first article, though, that saying robots would replace all humans in the workplace came out in 1964. So this is not a brand new idea. But about every five years or so since then, that theory resurfaces. And of course, you know, when, when we had... You know, robots that started taking over factory positions, there was a lot of concern that it would be replacing humans. I mean, we can go all the way back, goodness, back to like Eli Whitney inventing the cotton gin. That technically put a whole lot of people out of work. But it really did not because those people then were integrated into industry. They started working in factories. That's what came next. At every time there's major change, there's just new opportunities. So we have to modify what we're used to perhaps, but it doesn't mean there's going to be less opportunity. And of course, now the big concern is AI, artificial intelligence. Wow, it's going to replace humans. Well, as I keep saying, AI is not going to replace humans. However, humans using artificial intelligence will replace humans who are not. Now, when we automate, you know, we increase capacity. We don't necessarily drop an employment. When ATMs were first invented, and I think back about that, you know, some of you can probably remember when you used to always go inside. If you wanted $20 cash, you'd go inside the bank to get that. And then along came ATMs, these machines that would dispense money. Are you kidding me? And there were discussions around the ethical implications of that, how that would throw thousands of bank tellers out of work. Well, they weren't prevented, thank goodness. And that didn't happen. We have essentially the same number of bank tellers today as we did prior to ATMs, because here's what did happen. Having ATMs and the automation that came with that reduce the cost of running a bank exponentially. So what happened? Banks opened more locations. I mean, it used to be, I remember as a kid, we had to drive into town. I mean, it was about 40 minutes away to drive to town to get to a bank where you could do anything. And then, of course, you went inside for anything that you wanted. But what is the deal now? 
I mean, if you're with Wells Fargo, I mean, you can't drive two miles without seeing a branch somewhere. They're everywhere. So with the advent of ATMs, banks expanded dramatically their locations. It takes fewer people to operate them, but they still need all those bank tellers that were going to be put out of work are still working because there's more bank locations. So while ATMs did impact the traditional role of bank tellers, it's more accurate to say that they transformed the nature of their work rather than you know, eliminating positions. Now, you may have heard there's a, a brand new McDonald's just outside Fort Worth, Texas, that is essentially non-human run. There's just a couple people in there, but it's pretty much totally automated. Now, there's a lot of uproar about that. And as you know, I've been talking about anytime there's change, there's going to be opposition, people resist it. That's true with everything. And there again, people are concerned about having people get minimum wage, you know, living wage opportunities. They're up in arms about this, the fact that McDonald's is going to this form of automation. Well, don't get uh, too tied up about your upsetness about that because there's new opportunities coming all the time. If we look back a little bit, I'll just give you a couple examples here. Eastman Kodak Company, you know, we all know Kodak, you remember that. They were a major, major company. They filed for bankruptcy on January 19th, 2012. So a little more than 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Instagram was launched. I want to give you a little background. George Eastman, who started Kodak Company, his real mission was to help people preserve memories. That's what he wanted to do. But the way they did that was to print pictures. So the economic model behind his desire to help people preserve memories was they became a big seller of paper and chemicals. That's what happened. Now, they had somebody that invented, one of the people on their team invented a digital camera 25 years before they really became popular. They rejected that because they couldn't understand how they thought, they thought that would destroy their business model. And it would, but instead of changing, they just rejected that. And then, like I said, Instagram started in 2010. So let me give you the details here again. Kodak filed bankruptcy on January 19th, 2012. Facebook acquired Instagram on April 9th. So essentially three months later, 2012, for $1 billion. Now, Kodak Company, when they filed for bankruptcy, they had approximately 17,000 employees working for them. Instagram was a two-year-old company and had 13 employees and sold for a billion dollars. What were they doing? It's essentially what George Eastman wanted to do with Kodak, help people preserve memories. It was a way to share photos. But it was a different economic model. It wasn't selling. There was no cost of goods in that. It was a different kind of model that created income from that. That's what happens if you don't pay attention to change. You're going to get sucked up in the wind by somebody who comes along with a more innovative idea to do what you thought you were going to do forever. Chat GPT is AI tool that a lot of us are using went from zero to 1 million users in five days. There's nothing where we've seen that kind of explosive growth. 1 million users in five days. Then they went on to a hundred million 
in two months. Now, what is ChatGPT doing? I mean, they went live in November of last year, November 2022. In January, two months after that, ChatGPT on its own passed the U.S. medical license exam. Now, that normally takes four years of study, maybe two years of residency for somebody to be able to pass that exam. So six or seven years of study to be able to pass the exam. ChatGPT did that on its own two months after its invention. Now, that brings up then the point. Will AI replace doctors? No. I mean, I still, I've got a doctor's appointment this week. You know, I still want to sit down with somebody, have him touch me and, you know, look in my ears or whatever. Just give me a, a going over. I still want a person for that. However, AI, you can use that for diagnostics. You can use that to get any medical information that you want. And so here's the thing. We're back to what I mentioned a little bit ago. AI is not going to replace doctors, but doctors who use AI are going to replace doctors who do not. In fact, there are already implications that a doctor could be sued for malpractice if he did not, he or she did not use AI in the treatment of a patient. It's like, gee, you're ignoring all the body of evidence out there. Why didn't you do that? Why'd you just use your own gut feeling? No, that's how important it's going to be. So again, you, you just, you have to stay on top of where these changes are going. All right. So let's go back to our business here. Do you need money for your business, whatever you're doing now? So you may be starting something that is innovative. You may be the next Instagram or the next Eastman Kodak or whatever it happened, or the next McDonald's. You know, there's all kinds of room for innovation out there. Do you need money for your business? The first question is, do you really have a business? Now, here's a question you can ask yourself and you can figure out real quick if you have a business. If you walk out the door and the money stops coming in, you probably don't have a business. So you can be a competent coach, artist, musician, dentist, accountant, attorney, and by definition, not really have a business. You may be a freelancer or maybe you've created a very profitable job for yourself, but it's not really by definition a business. Robert Kiyosaki, of course, author of the very popular book still, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, distinguishes between having a business and being self-employed. And and here's really kind of how that goes. So being self-employed means that you're essentially working for yourself. So you can be a graphic designer, an accountant or whatever. You can own and operate what you call your own business, but you're also totally responsible for the day-to-day operations and responsible for you know most of the work and how the money comes in. So in this case, if you were to step away from your business, you go on vacation where the income stops. Now, a lot of people, that's true. Nothing wrong with that at all, but you have to be realistic about what it is that you've got. And that is not going to be a business in terms of how investors are going to look at it. It's just you doing great work, hopefully. So a business owner, on the other hand, is someone who's created a system or a structure that operates independently of, of their direct daily involvement. In other words, the business can generate income and operate successfully even when the owner is not physically present. Now, that's what I did when I started 48 Days. I was coaching people. And that was certainly, clearly, the low-hanging fruit initially. 
where coming out of that Sunday school class, I would coach people and I was coaching people five days a week. But as I developed systems and got things in place that started creating income when I was not present, residual, ongoing, continuous, recurring income from all the things we have in place. Then I went from coaching people five days a week to four to three to two. And at this point, I reserve one day a month for coaching. So that one day a month requires me. I don't want to lose my having my feet in that. That's really where the rubber meets the road. I don't want to ever lose that. I enjoy that. But I'm down to one day a month that is really dependent on me being there. So that, that's a distinction that you can easily kind of understand if you have a business or not. Now, I'm going to tell you what we are looking for, what we look for in our investment opportunities. What are we looking for? So I'm going to tell you that right after this. This is just an interlude here to remind you that typically we're answering questions, and this is answering a whole lot of people's questions today in the way that I framed this, kind of brought them together under one umbrella where we're talking about what do people look for if they are investors and willing to invest in somebody's company. If you got a question, you got a resource you want to share, um, just go to 48days.com slash askdan and you can leave your question there. Honored to have those come in. Got a lot of them in the queue for upcoming weeks, but again, it's 48days.com slash askdan. So what do we look for? Well, we have, we have what we call Eagles Innovation Group, formed that company last year, where we have people put in investment money, and then we look for companies to invest in. What are we looking for in that? Well, let me give you some kind of guidelines here that may help you frame what it is you're doing or the direction that you're going. We look for what we call high value opportunities, where it may be a physical product, maybe an educational model, meaning in the areas of like leadership, technology, a skill, craft development, certification, products, things that can be put out there, franchisable ideas, we um, certainly look at new technology opportunities, things that are happening in wind, solar, energy, uh, health, fitness, nutrition, medical, self-help. Now, here's some things that we evaluate when we're looking at a company. So those are some of the categories that we would be interested in. But here's what we look for. We look for two plus years in business operations. So no, sorry, we aren't looking for startups looking for at least two years of business operations, solid foundation to prove a concept, you know, where there's profits coming in. We look for companies that are already profitable. I mean, that's no secret. That's what we're looking for. And we're looking for where the owner is very much involved, where the owner has passion, compassion, uh, family values, pleasing personality, Integrity, heart of service, willingness to learn. Those are things we actually have written out that we look for when we're evaluating somebody that we may consider working with. Uh, we look for business opportunity that has a broad reach, something that can be scaled in some ways, typically something that has no geographic boundaries, something that has a unique positioning, value proposition. You know, we look for an exceptional product. Or an exceptional marketing process that could really make something stand out as well. If we don't invest in ideas, we invest in ongoing businesses. Uh, we look for, you know, do you have customers that keep coming back, that keep buying month after month? If current customers stay and new ones are coming in every month, then 
we can grow that business quickly. Will the marketing compound? And what I mean by that is, you know, for example, if you have a real estate office, you can keep recruiting new agents and then they'll bring in even more new agents if you're doing a really great job. Now, a, a pure technology company, this may seem surprising, is probably not going to be very attractive to us because they're going to attract lots and lots of attention, the brightest minds and lots of money. I mean, that's just, so many people are interested in technology. They're going to get lots and lots of attention, whereas somebody who's out here, you know, who's making widgets or importing something from another country that they're going to sell here may be more appealing to us because it's not one of those that's going to be at the top of the list for everybody out there. I want to go to where the fish are, not necessarily to where there are a lot of fishermen and where there's technology ideas. There's a whole lot of fishermen around there. No, I want to go down the beach somewhere to a hidden spot where there's a lot of fish that other people don't know about yet. Now, we invest in companies that are already profitable. I mentioned that, where the founder's still active. It could be a business that's 20 years old. And it doesn't have to be something brand new. I mean, matter of fact, we're kind of standoffish about ideas that, that are brand new. And as much as I've talked about things like JetGP comes on a arena and it has a million users in five days, I mean, that's cool. But uh, we're going to invest in something like that because for every chat GPT, there's a, a thousand other ideas that launched and you never heard of them because they didn't do anything. We want to work with people that we really like. I mean, we want to work with people. You know, we've got a couple of young guys right now, you know, early 40s we're working with. I want to make those guys rich. I mean, what a thrill to think about it. One of the guys has five kids. I want to make him rich. So he never has to worry about money again. Now, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank says she makes a decision about investing in the first 10 seconds. You know what she's looking at? The person. I mean, by in the first 10 seconds, she hasn't even heard the business idea. She decides about investing in the first 10 seconds because of the person. Now, what is she looking for? Well, she's looking for confidence and charisma. I mean, investors often uh, look at how confident and charismatic entrepreneurs are during their initial pitch. I mean, a strong and positive first impression can be really influential in capturing an investor's attention. And then she looks for passion and commitment as we do. We're looking for passion. People are passionate about their business idea. They really demonstrate this, that unwavering commitment. They have a lot of enthusiasm for their product or service and they they can convey their dedication and their belief in the likelihood of success. And then we're going to look at uh, communication, presentation skills. I mean, that's really important. I mean, no matter what it is you're going to do, you need to be able to communicate and present well. It's certainly important when you're pitching the idea initially, but even beyond that, we want to look at somebody who has the ability to walk into a room and be able to communicate clearly what their concept is, clearly, concisely, persuasively within a very short period of time. We want somebody with problem-solving skills. Somebody who can identify a significant problem or a gap in the market and then come up with a solution. That, that's really appealing to us as investors. Something that has a unique selling proposition. I mean, we want, it doesn't have to be totally unheard of. It can be something that where it's similar to something else out there. But then we look at, of course, market potential. Is there an opportunity for this to really grow? Now, let me give you a couple of examples 
here, and I won't go long today, but I want to give you a couple examples. Again, what I really want you to do is join us on uh, June 15th, that Thursday night, where I'm going to go more into depth about the specifics here. I'll give you an example of pitch decks, give you some links where you can go see what other companies have done to put together their pitch deck. I mean, when you Shark Tank is not really a good example in that regard um, because of the, the it, it's so short for one thing. It's not really realistic, but I'll show you some pitch decks where companies that have gone on to be very, very successful, what they showed people. You're going to show, you know, projections, what your costs are and what your sales have been so far. I mean, that's a big deal on, on Shark Tank. You hear them ask that right away. What have been your sales for the last two years? Well, gee, we sold, you know, 36 of this item. Well, that's not going to be very impressive. So you want a little track record on what you've done successfully. Now, two weeks ago, EIG, our Eagles Innovation Group, looked at a candle company. Now, you might think, well, how is that innovative? I mean, there's thousands of companies out there making candles. Yeah, there are. But you can get rich by doing something 10% better or adding 10% more value. If we think back about historically, when Domino's Pizza got in the pizza business, you would think, well, there's already Little Caesars and Papa John's, Pizza Hut, you know, all kinds of, how in the world could you get into industry like that unless you did one of two things? And this is how people often think. They either need to make a better pizza or sell it cheaper. Domino's didn't focus on either one of those. What they did is they promised 30-minute delivery, and it made millionaires all across the country. So a lot of times you can take something that's very, very common and just add something unique to it that's not commonly being done and knock it out of the park. So with a candle company, is there room for innovation? Yeah, you better believe it. So with this company, it was presented to us by the four high school seniors who started and are running it. Now, what's unique about it? Well, they use a soy wax, not paraffin. Paraffin comes from oil, petroleum. So that's a different kind of process. They use a soy wax. It's biodegradable. It, you can wash it out with water. And uh, it's very environmentally friendly. They scent the candles with different scents. Now, that's not really that unique. They're selling directly to customers on Etsy. I mean, I ordered one. Um, the, the cost of the candle was eleven ninety nine, and the shipping cost was six ninety nine. More than fifty percent of the product cost. Now that's a real purchase killer. When somebody gets to that point, and the shipping is going to be more than fifty percent of what the product was, that's where a whole lot of people drop off. So you know they'd be better off to sell the candles for eighteen dollars with free shipping. And again, you don't have to be the cheapest. You just have to be special. I mean, think about Starbucks when Starbucks start selling coffee. I mean, Folgers, the old long-time established brand, was out there trying to get its cost of a cup of coffee down to 40 cents. And they kept trying to make it cheaper, thinking they'd get more of the market. Here comes Starbucks, and hey, it's three fifty. They didn't look at price. They just wanted to make it a unique experience, and you see what's happened as a result of that. So, in this case, the, these kids with the candles, they have a little packet of flower seeds, under the lid on the mason jar that the candle comes in. So you burn the candle, then you wash out the mason jar. And instead of throwing out a perfectly good glass mason jar, you wash it out, fill it with dirt, and plant the forget-me-not flowers in it. I like that. I like that a lot. They have some really unique things. And these 
these kids are just absolutely delightful. They were so articulate. They were so prepared. They did a stellar job. I mean, they did a 10 on a scale of 10 in terms of presenting their idea. They were asking for $10,000 for 10% of their company. So there, the valuation would be $100,000. We won't be investing in that company. There's nothing to justify an investment in this company. I mean, there, this, this is the kind of business that if it's going to get money, it's going to be love money. And that's a big source of capital for starting businesses. That means it's money from family and friends who love you, want to encourage you, but it's not really investment money. This is not attractive as an investment. I mean, the cost they show includes nothing for labor. You know, they're just making the candles by themselves. So they don't factor in any cost for labor. I mean, you have to realize that's a real cost. I mean, if they got an order tomorrow for 5,000 candles from Whole Foods, they definitely need outside labor to produce these and to scale it any, in any way. They're going to need another process in place for manufacturing these rather than be dependent on these four high school kids to get an order and then they run and make a few candles to send them out. I mean, I love the idea that these are four good friends, but I don't like the idea of investing with them because they're all high school seniors. I mean, they're just getting ready to go into a 10-year period with massive change. I mean, they'll likely go to different colleges. Gee, they'll get married. They'll start a career. They'll lose interest in this particular business, even if it had a chance for financial success. So there's all kinds of red flags in there, but that's the way we are going to look at it. So it's a nice idea. They're making money with it. They're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, They're great friends. They're doing a lot of things right. They have their roles defined well, but it's just not an investable idea. Now, there's a bunch of ideas that we've passed on. There's an idea that it's a a new seltzer drink that is becoming so popular. These canned prepared seltzer drinks are really popular. We passed on one that we looked at um, right in its early stages. We could have gotten in for very little investment money. They now have gone on and they are just exploding. Their brand is just blowing up. I won't tell you the name of it, So, but uh, it's, uh, it's doing extremely well. We bought a couple cases of it, had it um, together as when our investment group got together recently. It's really delightful what they did. I don't know. It's too early to tell, but right now it looks like we may have passed on what could be a really good opportunity. Now that's one of those, again, I'm not sure how you really stand out because there's a whole lot of people in that space and all the big brand names, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and everybody else, all the, um, you know, the alcohol manufacturers as well are all producing their seltzers. So there's a whole lot of players out there, people with a lot of experience in the market who have all the distribution set up already. So again, I think it's early in the game to see if this is going to be a home run or not. We um, worked with a gentleman who presented to us his pitch deck who had a thermal lunchbox that keeps interior temperature at 37 degrees for four hours. So he's got some technology that allows it to do that. It's a little better than some of the other things out there. But um, again, he we will not be working with him. Uh, he had very unrealistic uh, projections 
for the sales of that. There are lots and lots of products that are very similar to that out there. It was hard to see how this was really that much better. And one of the the the, the clincher was uh, one of the guys on our investing team asked him, just gently asked him, if we were to give you a million dollars right now. Now, he, keep in mind, he never sold any. It was just in the development stage. He had applied for a patent, but just in the development stage, so he had no track record. So one of our investors asked him gently, uh, if we give you a million dollars right now for this idea, would you take it? He said, absolutely not. Wow, are you kidding me? I mean, the idea in that stage that he had it, I mean, I don't think it was worth $5,000. And for him to say that, let us know real quickly, this guy would be impossible to work with. If he thinks the idea is that special, that valuable, there is no way to even have a further conversation. Well, we talked to a Mustang Parks distributor, being a car guy. I mean, I was really interested in that. Um, it's it's a good business. He's got a good business going, but uh, just didn't seem to be enough upside to that that I really invested in or that we were interested in investing in. Now, I did invest just individually in shark wheels. Now, this is not involved with Shark Tank. It just happens to be named Shark Wheels. It's a totally new, innovative style of wheel. They developed it first as was used on skateboards and then went out of other things. But they just, they're now closed to investors. They're, they're not looking for any additional money at all. They closed because they just got a major distribution deal with Firestone Tires. So Firestone has put in on irrigation equipment, farm implements, farm tractors and all that. Shark wheels, you can look it up. It's a really innovative design. I mean, it's hard to even envision how it, it can roll smoothly, but they do. But when you think about tires have been produced the same way years and years and years and years. Here, somebody came along with a new idea that looks like it's going to really, really go. Now, we've got some other things that we have invested in as well. We've got one that uh, we did invest in. Again, two young guys we have a lot of confidence in, and they're both contractors. And uh, what they, what they're doing is uh, they, they've got a way for contractors to rent their own equipment to other contractors. So it's kind of like Turo, if you're familiar with that, Turo in the car space, where Turo is individual car owners who say, gee, I'm not going to be using my car for the next week. It's sitting in the garage. So they rent it out. So instead of using Hertz or Avis or Enterprise, something like that, you use Turo, T-U-R-O. And uh, it's just, it's like Airbnb. So it's privately owned cars. That's what we're doing here, privately owned contracting equipment. So if you need a stump remover or a tree trimmer of some kind or a post hole digger, you can rent from another contractor and you can do the same thing with your equipment, have your equipment in rental as well. It's an idea we really, really love. Um, it's innovative. There's not much happening in that space. We've got a, a really well-functioning app already, and we can now not only just invite individual contractors, but we can also go to the hundreds and hundreds of businesses that are set up to rent equipment who do not have an app where the only way you can contact them about the potential of renting a piece of equipment is to wait till they're open and call them or go there personally. I mean, that's pretty clunky. If you decide on Friday night that you want to, you know, build a fence the next day and you want a post hole digger, it's nice to go on there at 10 a.m. and rent 
what you need, knowing it's going to be there at 8 a.m. in the morning. That's what this is going to allow. So that one we did invest in. So anyway, I'm going to wrap with that. But uh, I I get excited about these kind of things. Um, Again, I hope that you're excited. Even if you don't have a business that fits any kind of the criteria that we're talking about, but just being aware of what the opportunities are. Why are people investing in businesses? What would you need to do to attract outside money? Do you need money or do you just need mentoring? There are ways to get that as well. And I'll talk about more, more about that in our free webinar that we're doing on Thursday night, June 15th. That's where I'm going to really unpack more of the specifics. I'll be showing some things. It's going to be a live webinar. I'll be able to answer your questions there. So, hey, grab a seat there. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. And just to kind of explore, again, what these changes are that are taking place, but how we can maybe find unique opportunities in the midst of that. So if you go to 48days.com slash investors, you'll see there where you can sign up, grab a seat there. We'd be love to have you be part of that. So in summary, our action points really are just kind of to ask yourself, you know, do you have a business? Do you have a process that makes money even if you're not there? Do you have an exceptional product? Do you have an exceptional marketing process perhaps? What would you do with, say, a $50,000 investment? Now, there are some good ideas out there where $10,000 may make a difference. Maybe you need 100000 Maybe you need 200000 Anyway, check it out. Thanks for being a listener here. And I hope this has stimulated your thinking in creative ways, no matter what your current situation is. Thinking about the opportunities and about what you want to have in place three years from now. Maybe this is the beginning to set the stage for developing what you want to have in place a little bit farther down the road. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in those questions being open to growing and being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Hey, again, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with three of your friends. Hey, get them to log in with you. Share the link with them. 48days.com slash investors. They can sign up there. You can all be on together, ask questions together, explore the idea you may have with some friends of yours that you want to explore together. Hey, just help each other out. That's the way we all elevate our own success. That's the kind of people we want to be. Stay committed to your belief along with me that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create. Wow, especially in today's environment, we can create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. See you next week and hopefully on our webinar on June 15th.